And I always like to tell people when I go on the campus of Faulkner University that I'm an alumnus of Alabama Christian College. And um, they uh, kind of look at me funny when I say I went to the second and third grade there <clears throat> many, many, many years ago. I think I was one of those last classes that was on the Ann Street campus before we moved over to, uh, to the college uh, campus where it is today. But I always remember coming by this church building. I always stuck out. My dad was uh, uh, preaching at, at what was then the Chisholm Church of Christ uh, back in around 65 to 68. And uh, so we have some wonderful memories of, of this area. Of course, I was very, very young, but I have a lot of uh, fun memories, fond memories of, of this time. The Dowrated Church was always a very well-known and highly respected congregation in this area. In fact, my aunt and our great uncle and aunt uh, were longtime members. They've passed on now, Jack and Lorene Turner. You may remember the, the Turners that attended here years, uh, years ago. So um, we feel like we've had a, had a great uh, relationship. Uh, two people, I was told, told me, make sure you say hello to my friends at Alreda, and that's Miss Sister Ida Fur and Sister Kay Baker. They are members at, um, at Buford, where I preach. And, of course, they love this congregation, and we're members here, and we're glad to have both of these uh, sweet ladies that are up um, in our area with us. And, of course, it's great to be with the, the Edwards and be with the Smiths. And, uh, of course, we've got some history there with, though, I've known uh, Doug for, for so many years. His dad, I guess, was uh, uh, one of the... Uh, first preachers other than my own dad that I heard growing up. And uh, Kelby and Martha were a long time uh, at Florence Boulevard, Florence, and um, we, were, we were there for a while. My aunt and uncle attend there. So Alabama's my home, and I love it, and I love being here, and uh, I just feel like I'm right at home, although this is the first time I've been able to be with you here in this congregation. But uh, introductions out of the way, let's enter into our study, change, and uh, the courage to be able to change. I think one of the greatest challenges in life is for us to change directions. Uh, usually when we're going, we're going pretty much at full speed, whatever direction we're going, whether you're in a car or whether you're in life, you're going in a certain direction. You may have a certain way that you think about how things ought to be and how things ought to go, but oftentimes is the case that things change and things sometimes change rapidly. And uh, as Brother Terry mentioned, this passage of Scripture is a great example of one where you've got one guy who was going full boil in a certain direction and all of a sudden he changed directions in a hurry. And um, there are a lot of things I think we can learn about him, about the uh, Apostle Paul when we knew him as Saul. And uh, we, can, uh, we can glean some things that maybe will help us. I don't know where you are in your, in your walk of life, whether you are a born-again Christian child of God, you've been washed of your sins through baptism. If you've done that, that's a wonderful thing. It may very well be that you're visiting the Church of Christ for the first time tonight. And, and so maybe you're just wondering about what's, uh, what, you know, what, who these people are and what, what they're all about. And, uh, or it could very well be that you've been a Christian for years and it may be that you're even maybe a second or third generation. I believe that this passage of Scripture has a message for you, no matter what, what your background is. 
a great message for you because I think we're all going in a direction. And we all have this perception when we look ourselves in the mirror of what we think we look like and how we feel like we are. And it could very well be that uh, some of the things that, uh, that happen to us or will happen to us or can happen to us through the power of the gospel may have the ability to change us not only just initially, but change us all through our lives to better us continually, uh, to improve us, to be the best kind of people that we possibly can be. So I want us to think about it from a number of different perspectives. And uh, just bear with me. I'll look back from time to time, make sure I'm on the right screen. But we're looking at this passage. If you will, read with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And, and let's just read through this, uh, this passage, the first nine verses, uh, very quickly. But Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if, uh, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Uh, into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Well, we do know the history about Saul. We know that he was uh, a Jew among Jews, sat at the feet of Gamaliel, learned about the ways of, uh, of Jewishness and the Hebrew way of life. The law of Moses was what he chewed on as a child in various different schooling uh, opportunities that he would have had. He knew it inside and out. A person can only look at the writings that he wrote in the book of Romans and Galatians and, and uh, others of the passages of the New Testament that have been attributed to him and not, I mean, you can't, you got to come away and say, this guy knew the law. He understood the law. Philippians chapter 3 tells us he said he was Hebrew among Hebrews. So uh, we're impressed with the fact of his, of his background. But he was one of these guys that was more than just one who really believed in the Word of God in the Old Testament, but he believed in defending it even to the point that even if he had to, he could get rough with somebody. And there were occasions that we know, like in Acts chapter 7, when he got very, very rough with people that he didn't agree with, like Stephen. And so we see his background and we see where he came from, but we also see that with this determined spirit and this determined desire that there were some things about Paul that needed to change. There were some things that needed to change in his life. And one of the things that he needed to change was his pursuits. He needed to change his pursuits. In these first couple of passages, we see him going to the, to the, um, uh, to the priest, and he's trying to get these letters, and he's trying to get permission to go to Damascus that he might be able to go and do uh, what he had been doing and doing quite successfully down in Jerusalem and in the area surrounding. 
and that is taking people who are taking the name of the Lord and standing up for God and saying that the way of truth is through Jesus Christ. He was taking them and he was throwing them into prison. In fact, if you'll follow with me over in the other couple of occasions, over in chapter 22... He's going to say further about, uh, about what, he had, uh, what he had determined to do. He says there in Acts 22 and verse 4, he says, I, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and, and women. Over in chapter uh, 26, uh, very similar. He's talking to Agrippa on this occasion. And um, he says uh, in verse 9, he says, I, I myself was convinced uh, that I ought to do many things uh, in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, he said, I cast my vote against them. In other words, I was involved from beginning to end. I was involved in their arrest. I was involved in their casting in prison. When it came to trial time, I was the one who cast the vote along with the others who ultimately brought about death with these people. I was committed to what I was doing. No one was no more, any more committed to what they were doing than Saul. You know, there's some things about that that, that, that caused me to stop think, and think, well, you know, Saul... What you didn't realize and what you did not know was the fact that you were on the wrong track. You were on the wrong track. You were doing the wrong thing. What was Saul supposed to be doing? Well, on the day of Pentecost, Peter and the eleven get up and they preach the gospel the first time. Then 3,000 people obey the gospel of Jesus. Not long after, you got 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. I mean, these people were so impressed with the gospel, it was taking the world. It was turning Jerusalem upside down. Undoubtedly, Saul had been had occasions that he could have heard this message of the gospel time and time and time again. But you see, Saul was of a persuasion among the Jews that so often was foretold of, even back in the times of when Jesus was on the earth and Jesus was in his ministry. He was like what he said uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 13 of the prophet Isaiah. You know, there's people here, but they're dull of hearing. You know, they, they can't hear and, they, and, and their hearts are hardened and, and, the, and they won't see. They're blinded. Well, they're blinded by their own way and they're blinded up by their own thinking. I want to ask you tonight, do you know anybody like that? You know, know anybody like that? Maybe religious people. Maybe people who are really convicted. Maybe people who are really convicted about what they believe to be true, what they believe to be right. But because you study the Word of God and because you know what the gospel teaches about salvation, you know they're going the wrong way. Have you ever looked at somebody who's out there in the world and you've thought, well, you know, they are so passionate about their faith but yet, man, if they really knew what the truth was, can you imagine what kind of power they would be for the Lord? Can you imagine how they might be able to be changed if they would just let not the ideals that they'd been taught through, their, through their, uh, the ancestry of their church or, or, or whatever their religious experience have been, but if they would just simply open the Word of God and let the Word of God in its simplicity speak. And that they would hear those words... And let it change their lives. 
what a difference it would make. Maybe it will be that it, maybe you know some people that may not, may not even be in that category. They may be in a person who is just as hardened against God and salvation and everything that is good and holy and right. And maybe you've thought about that kind of person and saying, you know, as hard as those people are working to serve themselves and serve the devil, can you imagine what kind of force they would be if they were really serving God? You know, turning around, doing a different thing, going in a different direction. What a great force they would be. Well, Saul was certainly that way. I want to ask you about one other group of people. What about a group of people who are already members of the Lord's church? What about those who uh, have been bought with the price? They've been Christians for years, but they've gotten into a mold of maybe complacency in their walk and in their fervor. Maybe they're committed in their thinking about what they think a Christian person ought to be or how they feel like a Christian ought to be. But when you look at their lives, their service is not what it ought to be. You see, what was going on with Saul is what was going on with a person who's out in the world Sometimes even the person who may be even in the Lord's church but yet is going in the wrong direction or maybe even a self-deluded, self-guided direction that is contrary to the way of the Lord. Now there are a lot of times when preachers like Brother Doug, he gets up here in the pulpit and he's preaching along and he's trying to encourage all of us as Christians, all of you as Christians, to try to increase your sense of service. Sometimes I'll hear people come out after a sermon I've preached and they say, boy, you really told them this morning, Scott. Or you really stepped on their toes this morning, Scott, giving me the idea that they think that, well, I was speaking to everybody but them. And it could very well be that you may know some folks that are like that too. And quite possibly, you could be like that yourself. What Saul needed to do is he needed to change his pursuits. And what people in the world need to do is they need to change their pursuits. And what people sometimes even in the Lord's church need to change their pursuits because there's always a reason why people don't serve God in the way they should serve Him. Now Saul was stuck in the law of Moses. And I don't know where you're stuck tonight. You may not be stuck at all, but if you're stuck somewhere, you could very well be in a place where you're in conflict and the challenge for you may very well be the same kind of challenge that's going to come to him. And that is, you need to change your pursuits. Change your pursuits. Well, another thing that he brings out here in this passage is the idea of of preoccupation. Challenge to to think about his preoccupation. What was he preoccupied with? Well, we go back to uh, about verse 3, and it says that he went on his way, he approached uh, uh, Damascus. Well, I was looking, uh, as I was studying this passage, I, I was looking up to a geography book and trying to figure out how far it is from Jerusalem uh, up to Damascus. And it's, and it's about 135 miles up there. And uh, they say that if you're walking, that chances are you're going to walk about 20 miles a day. And if you walk about 20 miles a day, it would take you right at about six and a half days 
to get up there. And so what I would like to suggest is that Saul was walking for about six days, perhaps. We don't know if he, he um, you know, was on a donkey or we don't know how he got up there, but let's just say it took him six days to get up there. And let's just say that during those six days that he is planning his, uh, his work, planning his mission. How much time do you suppose that he would have spent thinking about what he's going to do when he gets there? Do you suppose he's thinking about where he might start? Now, later on when he's in his ministry, where do we usually find him when he goes into a new town? He goes right to the synagogue. Well, maybe he's thinking the same thing before. Maybe I'll go to the synagogue and I'll find some people that are hanging around because you know what those wrong with those Christians? Those Christians, those people in that way, you know what the biggest problem is? They can't keep their mouth shut. And they're all about trying to proselyte. And they're all about trying to pull people in. And they're trying to cut and divide the Jewish church. Because really that's what it was. And they're trying to pull them into the church of Christ. So I'm going to go up and I'm going to find out what's going on. Can you imagine as he's approaching Damascus that he's thinking about, that he's anticipating, that he's focusing on. He is preoccupied with this very, I mean, this, this intense sense of feeling. Well, listen, it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, he's going to go in. He may very well find a Christian that realizes who he is, and he's going to run, and then he's going to get involved with the chase. There's going to maybe be some overtaking. Maybe there's going to be occasions when they're dragging them out into, uh, uh, into outside the city and picking up the rocks, just like they did with Stephen. Undoubtedly, his anticipation would have been there. Getting his attention would certainly have been something that would have been um, a big thing, been hard for him, for him to do. Get his attention. Says it, fall, it says that he's approaching to Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven. Chapter 26 and verse 13 says that uh, Saul said it was brighter than the sun. In other words, it was something that got my attention. It was something that changed the, the course of my thinking. I'm all preoccupied with trying to uh, do what I'm doing. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of like Doug Smith watching an Alabama football game and his wife coming in and saying, how about taking out the garbage? You know, it's just not going to happen too easily. <laughs> uh, this is the way that Saul was. He's focused. He's ready to go. He's on it. He's after it. And then all of a sudden, wham, an attention getter, change in direction. And he's going to be challenged in ways that he's never been challenged before. Well, when you read about this and you think about this, you think, well, you know, nothing like that's ever happened and probably nothing like that's ever happened since. But is that really true? See, I'm convinced that the nature of the gospel is one that it is true light. The light of Jesus Christ is true light. And the light of the gospel has the ability to change Jesus said in John chapter 1, he's a light in the world. In, in the darkness, it can't comprehend this light that, that, uh, that he brought into this world. It cannot comprehend just how truly. But, but there were occasions when people did comprehend. And there were occasions when the light did turn on. 
There were the Nicodemuses of this world that, that the light did turn on. And there were the Joseph of Arimatheas. And there were others who when they saw him and they examined the evidence and they saw the various things that, they, that he did. Well, when they examined the, the, these powerful works that he performed... You read through John and you see all these various different miracles that he performed, the water to wine and the the great and powerful healings that took place. Even the raising from the dead, you can't help but be impressed with this Jesus. John said, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that in believing you might have life through his name. John 20, verse 30 and 31. All these things were for a purpose. Now, we don't know if Saul saw any of these things that took place back in those days. But one thing's for sure, he's seeing it now. He's seeing it now. And he's impressed with what's going on and he is changing the course of his life. I'm convinced that what's, going, what's taking place, this is the change. Now, he's not saved here. He's not going to be saved here until he's baptized later on. But he is changing here. He's in a direction and he's changed because all of a sudden his attention's been taken away from his, from his drive and his commitment. I'm convinced that people in the world need to see this same kind of light. And this light, the light of the gospel, can be ever so much as bright in the world today to change the course of the lives of men as it was that day on the road to Damascus. See, I'm convicted that he needed to change. He needed courage to be able to take what he was preoccupied with and all of a sudden realize this is, the direct, this is the direction I'm not supposed to go. What kind of force has that ability today? Somebody says, well, if we could just have miracles like we had back then, then surely we could, we could turn the world upside down like the apostles did in the first century. Folks, what we have here in the Word of God, I, ten, I, I'm te- I attest to the fact that this power we have right in this book is more power than they ever had in their local little circumstances. Because what we have is not just the road to Damascus story, but we have the, the healing of the son of the widow of Nain, and, and, and we have the, the raising and the, the healing of Jairus' daughter, and, and, we, and we've got the water to wine, and we've got all of the miracles, and we've got all the words, and we've got all the teachings that God wants us to have. So that what we have in this word is a complete, powerful message, a powerful light in a world of darkness that will cause a person who's walking in the direction that they're going to think about themselves and the direction that they're going and challenge themselves to walk in a different way, to think in a different way, to act in a different way, to make a different commitment. Don't underestimate the power of the the gospel. How many of you tonight have friends who are so... They're obsessed with their lives. They're obsessed with their hobbies. They're obsessed with with their sports. They're obsessed with their... They're obsessed with so much, everything but Jesus. 
How many times have you thought, well, you know, gospel just can't really make a difference in their lives? Don't underestimate the power of this light. Don't underestimate the power of this gospel that can change people's lives. What this bright light on this road was going to do for Saul is it was going to give him courage to look at his his focus, his obsession, and it was going to cause him to start thinking more seriously about the direction of his life. The gospel will do the same thing. The gospel will change people's lives. And so, courage to change preoccupation. Courage courage also to change perception. What kind of perception did he have? Well, he perceived that, uh, well, he was going about doing his work, that he had uh, work to do, but all of a sudden, the Lord had something else in mind. He had a perception that says, I'm serving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he came to realize he was not serving the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says in verse 5, and he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. Chapter 22 and verse 8, he says, of Nazareth. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. There was a lot of Jesuses around. This was a particular Jesus. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. I am the one that you're persecuting. I'm the one that, whose way you're trying to destroy. Have you ever found somebody that thought they were serving the way of the Lord and all of a sudden they studied the Word of God or came in contact with the Lord and found out that they weren't serving the Lord in the way that they should? Maybe they had the love of the Lord. Maybe they had a desire to follow the Lord. Maybe they had a commitment in their heart to follow the Lord. But yet the way of the Lord was unclear to them because of the life that they were living or the circumstances they were involved with or the environment in which they were, uh, they were worshiping and working and living. The challenge of the gospel is simply this. Jesus will not steer you in the wrong direction. If you'll listen to what Jesus has to say, and you're convicted enough and trust enough in Jesus to listen to what He says and just apply it to your life, then that's enough. Some people think, well, no, that, no that, that's, that's, that's really too easy. That's really too simple. We, we really need to have a little bit more. We need, we need, uh, we need a history of, uh, 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 of, uh, of, of influence that comes from our religious background. We have, we have, we have to look at a history of, of uh, influence that comes from wise people who've interpreted this, this book a long time before we were born. Surely we've got to listen to what the Calvins of the world have to say. But how simple is the idea that Jesus says in John chapter 8 when he says, Unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Belief in Jesus as Lord? Or how hard is it for us to believe or or to understand when he says, Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish, like he did in Luke chapter 13. The idea of needing to change the direction of your life in commitment. 
How hard is it to hear that simple message and to make that simple change? How hard is it to to be willing to stand up in front of all people and say that Jesus is Lord of my life when he said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. That simple? Or if it's just that simple, just like when he said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believes not shall be condemned. Mark 16, verse 16. In other words, when we listen to the light that comes off of the tongue of our Savior, we hear a message that not only gives light, but it enlightens us to a point that when we look at our perceptions and we look at the way we think and the way we've thought and the way we've been taught to think in the past, it challenges us to be a different way in it and to think a different way, and to do things in a different way, and to go in a different direction. Saul needed his uh, perceptions worked on, and certainly they were getting exercised that day. I'm convinced that the only way that people in the world can be changed is by hearing the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That's what the Bible teaches, isn't that right? But I'm convinced tonight, because I I know, and I look out in this crowd, I know most of you probably are already members of the church. I would challenge you to think that your own perception could be challenged of what is right and what is good and what is holy. I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, how we worship or how we organize the church or how we obey the gospel. I mean, we have these things down. But I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about how our attitudes are toward our brethren, our love for one another, our willingness to forgive, our, our patience and our long-suffering with those that we work and we worship with, those that we're, that we're married to, those that we're trying to raise those that are raising us. We have a lot of perceptions about how we think things ought to be, even as Christians. But the Word of God has a way. I mean, if we really get into it, we really study, and we really let it, really let it do its thing, it can change us. Even if we've been Christians for 25 years, 30 years. Never feel like you've arrived. Never feel as if you have achieved what God has sent you here for. If there is breath still in you, there's a purpose for that. And it's not always to be about money or about success or about retirement. It could be the most obvious thing that we're missing is the change in perception that Jesus continues to be patient with us day by day, waiting and waiting while we yield ourselves entirely to His will. Do His thing, His way. Follow His direction. Believe in His ideals of faith and virtue 
instilling within our hearts these joyous deeds of the Spirit that are talked about in the book of Galatians, against which there are no laws. We're challenged day by day by the Scriptures to change our perception of life and to live a better, a better life. And then last, of course, we see that Saul needed to uh, change his sense of power. His sense of power. If you notice there again in, um, in verse 7, he says, The men that were traveling him, they stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing, uh, seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and all those eyes were open. He saw nothing. Here's a guy who has been so successful in the Jewish way. Now, I mean, sometimes we don't have time this, this evening, but look over at Philippians 3 and, and l- listen to where his acclamations as a Jew. I mean, how do you get to the point when you're the one who can sit and hold the cloaks while everybody else does the hard work of lifting the rocks and killing the person? You got to be pretty influential. You got to have pretty, pretty good power. You got, you got to be able to be a good leader. And it looks like Saul is a great leader. For six and a half days, he's been anticipating what he's going to do when he gets there. This guy is walking on the clouds. He had the letters. I'm going to go clean this town up. And all of a sudden, he got cleaned up. All of a sudden, he is the one who's on the bottom side. He's on the ground. Gospel has a way of doing that. Even the hardest of people, it can, the gospel can cast a person to the ground, the toughest of people, and challenge them concerning the direction of their life. I love how the message of the gospel in its simplicity, how it can just be preached and proclaimed in a powerful and yet poignant way on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and how that old story of the cross still touches our hearts. May we never grow tired of hearing the story and telling the old, old story about Jesus. Because this is the story that will change us. It will change our sense of power. It will change our sense of how we see ourselves. We may see ourselves as we look in our mirrors as being great lions that have the ability to conquer the world just by our roar. But what the gospel of Christ does is it causes us to look in the eyes of Jesus, the Lion of Judah, who is there, who has fought the great fight, and who's willing to continue to fight with you and for you on your behalf, and to help you and assist you in your life. It's hard to move from a person who's done everything for himself and by himself to the person who has to depend on somebody else. You may very well be in 
at a point in your life where you've seen this in your own experience. Maybe you've seen this with people in your own family. Maybe a father, a mother. Maybe a father who's had all the ability to take care of himself, to to be able to work hard and to uh, provide for his family and to do great things, all of a sudden be overtaken in some sort of health problem that has caused him to be so completely dependent on everyone that is around. When we think about dependence, it's tough being a caretaker. But, see, we don't just have just any caretaker that will care for us. He's not just anybody. He's Jesus Christ. And He can help us in our infirmities. He can help us in our frustrations. And He can help us in our hardships. He can help us in our difficulties. What the gospel of Jesus does for the hardened criminal in sin is that it tells him he's not the power that he thinks he is. The power is really of God. That's what Saul needed to see and that's what he needed courage to realize. And he did. Just a few days later, three days later, the Bible tells us, Ananias came to him and said, Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You can't say that to a person who has a self-perception of being in control of their lives. You can only say that to a person who's beaten. You can only say that to a person who believes with all their hearts that their sins are the sins that cause Jesus to have to go to the cross in the first place. Once they believe that, once they understand that, then you can hit them with baptism. I find that so often is the case. We as Christians are pretty bad about getting our carts before the horse when it comes to teaching people what they need to do to be saved. I always try to encourage people when they're thinking about talking to someone else about them soul, uh, about their soul. That, you know, if we had the power of God so that we could flash them with a light like Jesus flashed Saul on that day, then we might be able to do something like what Jesus was able to do that day with Saul. But we, we're just human beings. And it takes time to get people where they need to be. It takes time to get people to where... They need to realize that they're not a power in themselves. Only the power of God has, is the power they need. And yet, sometimes we as Christians are wanting to get them to be baptized before we've even had a chance to teach them about Jesus. Teach about His love and teach about how much He sacrificed for them. We're all about straightening them out about their false doctrine and their false thinking and their false way of life. When really our challenge ought to be, start where they are. Admonish them and encourage them if they have any kind of semblance of respect for Jesus at all. Start with an encouragement. A word of encouragement that would make them to feel that you're proud of anything they've done. 
I think the Lord calls us through His gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 14, He calls us through the gospel. But you know something? Folks are called through the gospel in a lot of different ways through their lives. It could very well be as a child in their, in their cradle being sung, Jesus loves me. But later on, as they have an opportunity to grow and learn more, they respond. And they respond in different ways to different understandings. And a person can only act on what they know at any one given time. So we as children of God want to give them an opportunity to hear more and to learn more so that they can finally hear the true, simple message of the gospel that convict them, can encourage them of where they truly are, help them to realize that they truly are powerless without the power of God, put their trust in Jesus, and submit to Him in humble obedience through the message. Courage to change. I think that this message teaches us all about how we could all be better, how we could all help ourselves to be stronger, more faithful, and more convicted in our walk in Christ. And for those of us who, and those of you perhaps who are out of Christ, to encourage you that you too can have conviction and you can have strength and you can have power that comes by trusting in, depending on, obeying the simple message, following the simple Lord of righteousness and obedience. It's a pleasure to be with you tonight. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and um, hope we can get to come back again sometime. God bless you.